Uh, it's lovely to see all your lovely faces. Uh, my name is Chris Meekins. I am the lead pastor of a new church in Santa Monica. It's called Pacific City Church. You can check us out at pacificcitychurch.com. Uh, and we are in the middle of building our team and launching, and we're supposed to launch this September, and it's a lot of fun starting a church. I'm originally from Ohio. My wife is from Minnesota. We met in college at Greek Week. We were both Greek. Introduced myself to her. Said, hey, what's up? Yeah. Uh, I let that cool down. We didn't start dating for another year and a half. So I'm just going to make quite an impression on her. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but, so, you know, you're going to have 13 years now. We have a five-year-old. It's so good. Hey, I can be ready for that next time. If you want. <laughs> just like I can my eyes. So I'm super spiritual. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, you guys, I've met a number of you already. You're wonderful people. And this is really cool. You guys could have gone anywhere and done anything this morning, but you're here with me and you're here with each other, uh, honoring God and finding a different way of living uh, that, that is connected to Jesus. And I've known Rob for a few years now, as he mentioned, and... Uh, <laughs> But the thing about Rob is he's never, uh, and you know this, uh, he's never down, he's never like super negative, or at least he's remaining, he's always been an encouragement, always there, always engaging with me, and like, uh, I just consider him a great friend uh, who's been helpful, it's been helpful to learn from him and be around him, and um, it's good to be with someone who's also in my industry. And where we get to get together and be like, can you believe this? And he goes, yeah, I totally understand. And I believe him. And so he's a great man, and you have a great pastor. And I spend a lot of time around other pastors. Like I said, this was a good one. I think you should bring me out as a hype man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll give you that 20 bucks later. <laughs> Okay, so uh, today we're going to talk uh, about uh, a few things, and so I prepared a few words for you. Um, have you ever been asked the question, uh, if you knew then, uh, if you knew back then what you know now, what would you do differently? Um, I know the older I get, the more sometimes if we're playing around, we, we play with this question, and uh, I know exactly I have the same answer every time. Uh, if I knew back then what I know now... I would have bought like $50,000 worth of Bitcoin uh, in 2010 at a quarter pop, and I would have made a hundred, uh, no, I would have made $900 billion. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and like I say to everyone, I would have given 10% to the offerings to Lightshot. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and, and so, or maybe you would invest in real estate, maybe you would have, uh, you know, uh, picked a different romantic relationship, but what you've done, I don't know. A lot of people may do different things differently than if they could go back and do it again, or if they knew then what they know now, they would do things differently. But um, also when I ponder this question, I look back on my life and I wonder, uh, there's these certain moments in my life, they're usually the moments in transition where I'm, there's a lot of stress and anxiety, and I wonder if I knew then what I know now, would I have been so worried, would I have been so stressed, would I have had so much fear? Um, I think about the transition from high school to college, maybe the transition from college to like the real world, uh, or how about like when I got married or when I had my first job as a pastor or when I left that job as a pastor, uh, when we had our first kid, when we moved to Santa, Santa Monica, uh, these transition periods, I noticed there's like anxiety in those times. 
Uh, and sometimes we call it the time between the times. You're not really in the old time where things were working and you're not totally settled in the new thing. You're in the time between the times. And I look back and I wonder, like, why was there so much anxiety? Dude, I did not need to worry about that thing. That all got figured out. But in the moment, it feels very real, doesn't it? And uh, this kind of life, though, like fear and anxiety, like, that, that happens for everyone. Uh, there's a person, uh, her name is Roberta Gilbert. She wrote this interesting book called Eight Concepts of Bowen Theory. I know, it's a real attention grabber. Um, <laughs> it was a sign reading for me. Uh, anyway, the author discusses family systems, stress, the idea of triangling. I don't know if you know what that is. You know what triangling So say uh, someone is having a hard time at work and they feel stress, and they come bring that stress back home, and they share it with the spouse, they put it on the spouse. Well, that's uh, point A to point B, but then the second person who accepts all that stress needs to do something with it, and sometimes it gets projected onto children. So, like, there's the idea of stress dynamics within a, in a family. But in particular, she talks about two types of anxiety. Um, and, and it's like almost to the untrained person, it's difficult to distinguish between the two of them. There's acute anxiety and there's chronic anxiety. Acute anxiety occurs uh, when there's a real time uh, threat. Um, Adrenaline kicks in. Uh, for instance, um, here's an example of acute anxiety. When I was in eighth grade, it's a long story short, a brick wall fell on me. And my, it was like, it was about this tall, this wide. It fell on me, it was really heavy, about four, five hundred pounds. And I called out to my mom, mom, help me. And my mom came over, and she's a little woman, like uh, a little bit taller than that, around here. And she like picked up the brick wall. Like that acute anxiety triggered Adrenaline, she threw the wall off, and, and uh, then I probably went to the hospital. Um, but your brain processes the threat, it addresses the threat, it assesses, it fixes the problem. But there's another kind of anxiety, it's called acute or chronic anxiety, and that's more like background noise that sits below the surface in our lives. Uh, it's usually caused by vows we've made, and we live out those vows every day. So say, for instance, if you grew up poor, uh, you might grow up and make a vow saying, I will never be poor. So what happens when you're faced with a potential issue in your work, or you feel like you're not progressing fast? The low-level anxiety, the chronic anxiety, still stays with you in those times. And so uh, the fact is that each of us, you and me, we will face different types of stress, anxiety, fear in our lives. We will experience the acute anxieties of life, we will experience the chronic anxieties of life. And I want to talk to you about how do we deal with that? How do we deal with it uh, in a way that's healthy? And I believe, and you believe, uh, from what we read in the Bible, that Jesus offers us a different way to process anxiety, stress, the fear that we experience. He helps us to work through the storms in a way that's healthier, healthier than what other people provide what other systems provide. And so I call today's talk, How to Trust Jesus in Life's Storms. And so will you pray with me? I'm going to invite God's presence. He's already here, but why not just invite him a little bit more? And uh, then we're going to take a look at the story. So pray with me. Uh, God, we thank you that you're here right now, that you're with us, that you want to talk to us. And God, I ask that, uh, that you would be with us. God, we already know that your presence is here, but we ask that you would increase our awareness of your presence, that you would do a work. Help me to speak as I should, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, 
Um, I'm going to take a look at uh, some things. Uh, we're going to look at a story in the Bible. It includes Jesus, the disciples, and a real storm on a real boat. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the fourth chapter of Mark. And uh, before we do, I'd just like to take a minute to set the scene of what was going on. So right before we get to this story on a boat with the storm, Jesus is on one side of the lake, and he's telling all these super exciting stories about his kingdom. He says, the kingdom starts small, and then it grows into a mustard, a mustard seed, grows into the largest uh, tree in the garden. And uh, he says something along the lines of, like, uh, here's how you can become a citizen of uh, this new kingdom, and uh, his kingdom is more powerful than everything. So he's telling all these stories, and the crowd is with him. They're getting pumped up. They're like, yeah, new kingdom. Woo, let's go. Let's overthrow the Romans who've taken over the land. And the disciples are sitting back like, you better listen up, because uh, we're on the left and the right, and they're all like really excited about what's going on, and they feel like, yeah, we're with Jesus. We're really important. You get the sense that everything is working out a-okay. So Mark is not stupid. He's a really smart guy. What he does in this chapter is he pairs these stories of all this like kingdom, high level, everything is going good, uh, you know, and, and then at the end of the chapter, uh, Mark tells a story of something that happens that changes uh, and deepens the disciples' faith. And it goes a little something like this. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, they get done telling the stories. Uh, and Jesus says this, That day, when the evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. It's a good fact. Um, sorry. <laughs> the disciples woke and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind, and the waves said, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So what can we learn about this stormy story? Well, the first thing I want to share is this. Storms are a fact of life, and everybody will face them. It says that a furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And we see that the disciples were scared. The boat was literally sinking. And the fear grows so much in the disciples' hearts that they actually go to Jesus and say, hey, are we going to die here? And even though they were uh, with Jesus, they were still faced with the reality of a storm. And that's, that's just really what's true for us here. Um, the question that we should be asking in this room is not, will you experience storms in life? The question is, when will we experience storms in life? And Jesus actually gives us another promise around this. And this promise is found in John chapter 4. And it's, he says this, I have told you these things so that, you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now often church people will talk about the peace of Jesus and how Jesus has overcome the world. But I don't want us to miss this truth that you can take to the bank every single time it is going to be true uh, for you and for me and for everybody. In this world, you will experience trouble. No one is immune to it. No amount of money, 
uh, no amount of fame, no amount of education will protect you from the reality that in this life there will be trouble. In this life you will experience storms. You will experience acute storms in life. You can face a sudden job loss. You can face an experience at, uh, at work that's bad. Uh, you may have an emergency uh, that may uh, drain your, your family's you know, financial resources. You may experience a loved one getting sick. You may experience yourself being unhealthy or have some sickness. You may experience a death, an accident, heartache, or even a betrayal. But we will also experience um, chronic anxieties. Uh, for instance, like you may struggle with unforgiveness towards another person. Maybe someone sinned against you when you were young, and the, the pain of that instance is still there, it's still with you, and it still affects how you treat people today. So here's my question. If storms are a fact of life, how do we prepare for them? Life is not like a happy stock market graph that goes up and to the right forever. It just isn't. There will be ups, there will be downs, we will experience pain, we will experience storms. So if they're a fact of life, then what do we do? Here's what I suggest. Cultivate your relationship with Jesus now so you're prepared for life storms later. Like I mentioned earlier, I am married to Nicole. Uh, we've been married almost 13 years, and each day more blissful than the last. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's so wonderful. I just, I'm just totally lost in your gaze right now. Um, anyway, I cultivate my relationship with my wife, and I'm assuming that she's doing the same thing with me. And what do we do? We spend time together. We ask each other questions. Like, we hire a person who doesn't live with us to watch our child, and then we go eat a plate of food in front of each other. It's called a date, and we do it. <laughs> and through that process, like, we, it, we cultivate, the we understand each other better. And so when things come into our life, whether it's, like, stress from neighbors uh, or stress from our um, other relationships or our child isn't being perfect, um, we have cultivated something, and so we're prepared. We work together as a team. And in the same way, I think that's how it works with Jesus. We prepare our relationship with Jesus uh, by uh, cultivating it now. And how do we do that? Well, we spend time every day, and we pray. And we don't just shoot off. Like Sometimes when we think about prayer, it's like, how many prayer requests can I get up to heaven in less than five seconds, and you shoot them like a machine gun. Oh, Lord, help me win the lottery. And whatever it is you say, like, oh, God, please give me that uh, Mercedes dance. <laughs> or whatever you say, uh, or help me with this issue, you know. Um, but also, there is this thing that happens when we spend time with God where he speaks to us. And um, we learn more about him by praying. We learn more about him by studying the Bible. And uh, we're filling ourselves up spiritually so we are prepared not only for the day, but for when life storms hit, we're ready. We are ready because there's something there. There's a trust there. There's a relationship there. And so uh, lately, here's what I've been doing. I like to use study guides. So I'm using one by N.T. Wright. He's a guy that writes studies. And um, so you kind of like read a little bit of the Bible and you answer questions. And then I spend time. I have a list of people and things that I pray for every day. And then also, like, I have this time uh, where, like, I just wait and I don't try to pray to God, like, with a bunch of requests. I try to listen. It's like an act of listening. Like, God, like, it's a two-way street, but God wants to talk to us, too. And uh, so I do that. And that regular daily process helps me uh, to cultivate what I need to handle life storms. I'm prepared for life storms. And that's something that we should be doing. 
And we read in the Bible that Jesus often got away to lonely pray places to pray and be in front of God the Father. And if Jesus was able to do it, it's certainly something for us to take a look at. So that's uh, number one. Point number two, uh, Jesus is more powerful than the storm. In verse 39, it says, He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. So we see that Jesus is in control. He has power over the wind and the waves. And all of us here should interpret this story the same way. Jesus is more powerful than anything that you and I are experiencing. He's bigger than your circumstances, and he can literally do anything. God's more powerful than your financial situation. God is, cares more about your future than you do. Uh, God can easily overcome the insurmountable issue that you face with that family member or in-law. And God is more powerful than the President of the United States. He is bigger than it all. So if Jesus is more powerful than the storms we face, what should we do when we are experiencing a storm? We keep the lines of communication open. We open up the dialogue. We pray. We get in front of them. And, and this is something that like the disciples got right here. They like when they're experienced, like, oh no, the boat is being swamped. Where the boat is literally, don't you care if we drown you? They went to Jesus and actually asked him the question. And their attitudes are wrong, and they didn't have any relief, and this and that and the other, but at least they were talking to him. And that's what we do. We pray. We go to Jesus in the middle of our storm, and even though we might lack faith, we might lack the, we might have a terrible attitude, and it might not be right, but at least we're keeping those lines of communication open. And I think it's way better to press in, even if our attitude is wrong, to at least press in and say, hey God, what's going on? Go to him, and ask him, keeping lines of communication open. And I found that there's nothing more calming, more clarifying, that when we go to God, that when God comes back to us and gives us a sense from His Spirit, when He talks to us, and he, when He talks to us, He gives us hope. It's something new. It's not just us blabbing to the sky, but there's something real, something supernatural that's happening that's not from us, that's coming down to us. And that's what we're looking for, because that's the thing that helps us to differentiate ourselves from the stress we feel from our circumstance. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes uh, when, when we approach Jesus, we do approach him the same way the disciples. Don't you care about me? Don't you have any power? Do you care if I die? Do you care if I, if I fail in this exercise or whatever you're doing? And I think we need to learn from the mistake the disciples made here, too. And so I want to give you two truths to remember to when we approach God. Uh, if Jesus is more powerful than the storm, we need to remember that God is in control and that God loves us. So, for example, I'm planting a church in Santa Monica. Santa Monica isn't the easiest place to plant a church. And I'm like trying to build this team and we're raising money and we're like trying to find a space to meet. And people look at me like, what are you doing? I, there's no easier way to end a conversation with someone in Santa Monica than to tell them what I do for a living. <laughs> so they're like, what do you do? I'm a church starter. They're like, okay, this is good. This has been good. I think we should circulate. Cool, see you later. Like, because people aren't interested in, like, you know, the whole God thing. You come from the Midwest, they're like, cool, man. Wow, startup guys. Okay, maybe we'll get all our friends to come to your church. It'll be awesome. Here, it's a little different. It's hard. It is a hard work. And that just happens because, you know, we're in a very, like, cosmopolitan place and very cosmopolitan city, the second largest city in the United States. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. It's sophisticated. They have a different way of thinking about God and 
all that. And so uh, the challenges that are before us are hard. And so when I pray, I could be like, oh, dear God, don't you hear me? Like, please. I, and sometimes I do do that. But, you know, I, to be honest with you, but it's important for me to approach God with this. It's like, God, you're in control. God, you are in control of this ministry. This is not something that I came up with. You invented churches. I didn't invent churches. Churches are, have been here before me. They're here with me, and they'll probably be here after. And the people of God have consistently been okay at following God, but the church somehow continues to move forward. God, you're in control. You are in control of this. And so, God, we're, like, for instance, tonight, after this, we'll leave here, and we're going to go run an interest meeting. Uh, we're going to have, like, you know, 30 people sitting and eating barbecue, listening to me talk about why they should help us plant the church. And I got to go, God, like, you're in control of that meeting. And you're in control of You can help bring the right people. And I, and I, and I come to you and I say that, that, like, please help us tonight, but you're in control. So it's almost like acknowledging that he's in control. And the second thing is God loves us. So in planting the church, sometimes it's easy to connect what I do with how God feels about me. And so what I need to say is that it's not true. Whether the church works a little bit or it works a lot, either way, God still loves me. And there's nothing that I could do that would ever change that. And that's the same for us. That there's your success in your work or your school or whatever it is you do in life, there's nothing that you could do that would ever change the way God feels about you and how he loves you. And so by remembering those two things when you come to him with prayer, that God is in control and that God loves you, it helps you to approach God in a different way than the way the disciples did, which is sort of like, oh, dear, God is always saying, like, that's not the way. There, this is a different way. If you'd like to learn more about prayer, um, there's a great book. It's called uh, Prayer <laughs> by Richard Foster. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite books about prayer, and it's like, it's about like 10, 12, 17 chapters. I don't remember, but like there's some, and each chapter is a different kind of prayer. And it shows you, like, how to cultivate a, a prayer life. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about going to God and praying. This is a great book. It's an easy read. Uh, everyone should own a copy and read it. And then email me and let me know what you think. So that was point number two. Uh, point number three, storms help us to experience God in a deeper way. Uh, in verse 40, he says, he said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So no doubt, Jesus was doing something amazing, and as a result of that, the disciples experienced him in a deeper way that day. They knew he was powerful before, and he was a really great storyteller, but they knew at a different level that Jesus was something else. This was something else. Like, and he didn't even do like a big long prayer. He was like, stop it. And everything just dies down. They're like, my goodness, this guy's on another level. And I'll say this, no one really wishes for more pain or suffering or anxiety. Uh, but through the storms of life, we do gain a perspective on how God loves us. And, there's one, and it's one thing to learn about God's power. It's another thing to go through something where we experience God's power. Like, the disciples were on the side of the, you know, one side of the lake. They were hearing these awesome stories. They were, they, they heard something about God. But then, when they watched God 
like when Jesus would watch Jesus stop a storm in its tracks, that's a different kind of knowledge. And in fact, uh, the, the, in the Bible, there's a, they discuss there's two different kinds of knowledge. There's a cognitive knowledge and there's an experiential knowledge. And I'm going to save you from the original language, but really that it boils down to those two. And the cognitive is like, here's what we know in our brains about God, but then there's the experiential piece where you go through something with God and you come out the other side and you have a different knowledge about what he does, what, how he operates with you and how he works with you. And so there's no other way to put this, but for you to look at the areas of crisis in your life, um, yeah, the place where you're experiencing crisis may be the exact place where God wants to talk to you. And so ask yourself, what storms am I experiencing in life? And what does God want to say to me about them? And in my experience, he wants to move it from something that you know about him, like he's good, he's in control, he loves you. He wants to move that to something where you walk with a level of confidence. He said, this is, he is real. And you know the difference. You know the difference uh, when you go to a, um, maybe you go to Disneyland or something, and you've like read about a ride, and then you go on the ride, it's a different kind of knowledge, and that's what we're talking about here, that God wants us to experience him in a, in a good way. So, in conclusion, uh, what do we want, what would we expect to see happen if we actually started doing some of this stuff? Well, if we were to kind of press into, like, uh, trusting that God's in control, if we were to go to him in our time of need, well, I'd expect we see a greater level of uh, joy in our everyday life, a greater level of victory in our relationships. I think we would be less stressed in the day-to-day -day circumstances. And I think we would probably grow our influence with our friends, uh, the people we live around, our neighbors. They would say, there's something really different about these people. Like, they don't get stressed the way everyone else does. And the reason you wouldn't be getting stressed is because you will be tapped into something experientially, something that you've experienced with God that's just better than just knowing something about God. And my hope would be that, like, if we were to do some of these things, maybe people would say, I don't know what I believe about Jesus, but those people are different. They're confident, they're strong, and I don't know how you are when you're not stressed, but I'm super bubbly, and it's super fun, and I, and I relax, and, I, and it improves my interactions with people. And I think that's the same that could be for us. And so, the truth about Jesus, um, how can we know that we can trust him through life's storms? Well, even though we face storms, we know that Jesus faced the ultimate storm. He came to earth, and he lived this life, and he took on death, and he actually died on a cross, and he demonstrated that he had power over death by coming back to life. He's victorious. He won. He's beaten death. He's beat the ultimate storm of sin. And so when we go to him, we're going to someone who not only empathizes with us, but he offers us a way uh, that we can live that's actually better, where we can address or deal with life storms, different than the disciples, different than we have in the past, but we can continue to grow in a way where we know that God's with us. And so my hope would be that, you know, maybe a couple years from now, if we would do this, maybe we would look back, if we knew then what we knew now, we wouldn't change a thing, because we would say, hey... We trust a God through life's storms.
Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we thank you that you are with us in life's storms. You've faced the ultimate storm, and you died and uh, overcame sin. You're victorious over it all. And so we come to you, and we say, God, um, we give you our, the storms we're facing in our life. We give you our anxiety. We give you our stress. And we ask, God, that you would replace it supernaturally with something better. Thank you that you're with us. You're always with us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.